Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, it's an insurance movie. It's a murder movie. It's both. We watched Double Indemnity, and we're going to talk about it. But first, I'm going to ask you what I always ask you. How was your week? My week actually went pretty well. You always use the word actually. It makes me laugh every time. I'm surprised because there were so many little um, bits and pieces to the week that did not work at all, but I'm very mm. happy with the end result. Mm. Awesome. And... How was your week? It was full of work. I'm working a lot. There's a lot of work okay. in the in the week. I'm getting the impression from your words <laughs> on a subtle level that you're working a great deal. I'm working a great deal. And I'm like, I'm a little punchy right now because I've been up since 3 a.m. It is... Later than that now, it is <laughs> almost 7 p.m., and uh, yeah, I would have liked to have a nap this afternoon, but as I didn't mention before, work. Okay. So, uh, I'm hoping to take a long weekend this weekend, though. You're Fingers crossed. For, oh, yes, of course. You're, you're going to take a weekend at any event. Yes, but I'm leaving. I'm going out of town this weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving on Friday, right. but maybe I'm leaving on Thursday. That's where I'm at. So we'll see. Okay. But before we do that, we got to talk about this movie. This movie is pretty good, yo. Yeah. This I thought I thought it was a Hitchcock movie. No. I fully thought this was a Hitchcock movie. It, this movie is directed by Billy Wilder, the man who directed The Apartment, and he has some wild swings in um, tone in right. his films. It's yes. not like. I, like, I would argue that Hitchcock's to- uh, films all have a tone, like a specific, like a Hitchcockian tone. Billy Wilder, I thought, was a comedic a director only, because I'm not fully versed in his filmography, I guess. But, yeah, this is a Billy Wilder film, starring Fred McMurray, who's a comedian. Right, both <laughs> of the leads were famous for their comic roles. Oh, she was, too? comic roles. Barbara Stanwyck was not a femme fatale. And Fred McMurray was not, he was not this kind of performer. He's here playing a very immoral character. He's playing against type. Uh, and and I guess she is too, because she's mm-hmm. definitely a femme fatale of this. Right. And, yeah, there's basically three, like, three people that we see. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole movie is basically the three people. Right. And that is Fred McMurray, who is doing... There is a frame narrative of sorts in this, like there was in Titanic, um, but it's just him telling the story. Uh, And then... So he starts it. We hear what has happened to get him to where he is, which is shot. (laughs) And he's confessing to his boss, who is Edward G. Robinson, who is the second person that we see. And then... um, the third person, of course, as you said, Barbara Stanwyck. She is uh, our catalyst. Uh-huh. And also, she fucks him over in the end. Because, so, of course, she Of our three <laughs> protagonists, or three lead characters, yes. I think Edward G. Robinson is the only one who is intimately um, familiar with the sort of crime genre. Sure, at this point, at this, acting-wise. Right. Yes, he, 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 Little Caesar and all the rest of the gangster pictures that Little he did. Little Caesar? Yeah. Um, what is... That's a pizza place. <laughs> it is now, wasn't that? But uh, Scarface... No, that was Paul Muni. But he, he really did a lot of um, 
Yeah, see? Yeah, that's essentially <laughs> is that him? His, <laughs> it is, right? His gangster persona. So he did a lot of these kind of things before. But uh, yeah, the others were newcomers to it, essentially. And apparently Billy Wilder... How can I put this nicely? <laughs> Billy Wilder... If it's not nice, don't even bother putting it nicely. It's fine. His, his... Double Indemnity, Lost Weekend, uh-huh. Sunset Boulevard... Sabrina, The Seven Year Itch, Witness for the Prosecution, which we also saw. Uh-huh. Like, Some Like It Hot, The Apartment. So it's. It's kind of all over the place. Yeah, it is. And essentially, from what I understand, he did this film just to prove that he was just as good as Alfred Hitchcock, who was an, another immigrant coming to the I'm country. I'm a small man and I must prove myself. And yes, he, he, he literally was a small <laughs> was man. Was he? Yes, That's funny. Who, who would show up in Jodhpur's with a riding crop when he was directing. This was a thing that used to happen. You should hear the stories about Otto Preminger. But, uh, That's some Ed Wood nonsense. Right, exactly. And that, but he was seen as ridiculous, but Billy Wilder wasn't? The right. fuck is happening? That's kind of that generation of film directors, the people who... Um, who part of their directorial style was to just sort of boss or bully your actors, which is why Victor Fleming, who did The Wizard of Oz and had just before that finished Gone with the Wind, uh-huh. was so much in demand because, I mean, doing both of those films the same year, because he knew how to work with actors, particularly with women. He didn't sort of boss or bully them or... Uh, there's no stories of him doing that. But, yes... Billy Wilder, apparently he was kind of a piece of work. He had, uh, what worked in his favor is that he had a very puckish sort of sense of humor about things, but still it was a little mean-spirited at times. I mean, that's the thing. The phrase puckish sense of humor, Mm -hmm. it's not all good. Kind of a little asshole. Exactly. (laughs) Are you okay? What's going on over there? But anyhow, yes, finding out about him and his filmography, and yes, he's very good at romantic comedies, or some of the films he made were really changing the face of film, and some people make that argument for this as well, that this is, we saw The Maltese Falcon, but this is the actual first true film noir, which I would disagree with, but some people seem to think that they count this as all the, um, it's, whereas, um, the Maltese Falcon could be like the proto film noir uh, film. This would no, be the actual. That's, that's, I know, and that's again. That's this is, some bullshit. This because... is Eddie Mueller and a couple of other scholars on this to- topic who address it this way. I don't feel that way. I'm also not particularly impressed with Billy Wilder outside of comedy. Noir is mm. so based in that PI and a mm. dame walks in right. situation. That's not what happens yes. in this movie. Yeah, this he was, walks into her life, not the other way around. This was based on a uh, a novel, a novella that was serialized originally in five parts um, in a popular magazine. It was written by James Cain, who had also written The Postman Always Rings Twice. A story I don't know anything about. Which is essentially the same thing. It's about uh, a drifter who goes into the life of uh, the, the, the small-town beauty who married a wealthy older man who's uh-huh. drunk and abusive as it turns out right. to get out of her hometown and then she ro- wants to run off with the young drifter and they plan to murder her husband and in both of these cases 
they were based on actual stories. Right, okay. There was an insurance investigator who collaborated with a wife to get rid of her husband for the double indemnity money. Right. And that was uh, seized on by Kane, who turned it into a story. Gotcha. You want to get started in the story? Yeah, we should. So... One thing that's blowing my mind right now as I'm reading the uh, synopsis in front of me is a year passes in this film. I would have thought it was about a month. So that's fucking wild. But um, so apparently we start July 16th, Mm -hmm. 1938, which is very close to now. So that's weird. I mean, it's a little later than July 16th, but it's July Uh, 1938. What is that? 85 years ago? Is that what it is? I think that's yes. what it is. Woof. Well, that's when the film is set. It, it was shot in... Uh, it was shot in 44. Yeah. right? So. Yeah. Came out on July 3rd of 1944. Mm. Oh, an Independence Day weekend. Um, and we see Walter Neff, played by uh, Fred McMurray. You might know him from uh, My Three Sons. Uh, Flubber. I, Flubber, yes. I mean, again, it's like his his <laughs> filmography is also... All over the place, mm-hmm. but this was casting it against type. It's kind but of also, like, it, comedians are always good, almost right. always good in dramatic roles. Right. It doesn't but go the, the other way necessarily. Kind of like seeing um, Harrison Ford in what uh, what waits, what lies beneath. What lies beneath? Yeah. There's a, there's a film called What Waits Below, and I always get the. Uh, yeah. No. Things. What lies beneath? Well, yeah. Right. Where he's the villain, and you're like, but he's Harrison Ford. Right, exactly. <laughs> Indian Han Solo. He cannot be the murderer. He totally is. Spoiler alert. Uh, so he's in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. He has been shot. He is bleeding and he picks up a dictaphone. It, a dictaphone. It looks like a like an antler, mm-hmm. like or like like those drinking it horns. Looks like an old school talking around. horn that you yeah. find on the Titanic. It's wild. When they're sending messages to each other, and he starts recording uh-huh. a confession to his boss, Barton Keyes, played of course by Edward G. Robinson, because it's those two. And uh then we then we flash back and he tells he we flash back to him a few times during the mm-hmm. film, but most of the movie is a flashback. Turns out a year earlier, he uh, Walter went out to visit a client to re up his automotive insurance. Said client is not home. Said client's wife is nude. She's sunbathing. <laughs> She's sunbathing, uh-huh. nude. So she comes to the top of the stairs, nude, just holding a, like a towel in front of her. And then she's like, I'll be right down. And she puts on some clothes. She comes downstairs. Flirt, flirt, flirt. Inappropriate. Sir. He is inappropriate. She's yeah. also inappropriate. But he's inappropriate. And... She basically comes around to asking about an accident policy. Although, I think he might bring it up first. I'm not, I can't remember the order of operations, but they come upon the idea of buying accident insurance. They they run it past her husband and mm-hmm. he's like, nah, that's right. cool, I don't want it. Uh, and they, they're like, well, we're going to do it anyways, and we're going to have him sign it thinking he's signing the automotive insurance, because he just is like, he's not reading it, he just says you have to sign a triplicate or whatever, and there isn't actually three, he, so he's signing the accident insurance policy. And at that point, when we know that he 
he has this accident policy, this life insurance policy. Um, at some point in their, their machinations, he's like, you're going to try and kill him, aren't you? And then she's like, um, how about we try and kill him? We can split the money, double indemnity. So what's, what is the deal with double indemnity? Why is it called that? If it's, it's a life insurance policy. Mm -hmm. And if you die basically in a freak accident, it pays out twice. Yeah. Or it's like two times the amount, right? So they start colluding and trying to figure out a plan to knock him off. And what they come up with is he's going to go on a trip. Um, and what they're going to do is she's going to give him a ride. Um, Walter's going to be in the back. They're, she, he's going to kill him. Right. He's going to strangle him from behind. Strangle him from behind, and then they're going to drop him on the train tracks. Right. Well, the, the important well, thing is Walter has hurt his leg or, or hurt his ankle, which put off the original trip for. Walter didn't. Her husband excuse did. Excuse me, her husband did. Yeah, her husband has and a broken leg or so a he put off their first plan to kill him. The second plan goes through he's going to go on this train. Yeah. So and it's very important that he falls off the train because that's what yeah. enacts a double indemnity. Right. Because so, he's got to fall from the train and die. Right. Which, so, it's not going that fast, or, and it's not that far to fall, so it's a weird... It's Walter weird. hides in the backseat of the car yeah. when they come to a stop in a neighborhood they've already predetermined. It's a route where there's not much uh, light, street right. light. He strangles him from behind. Well, they're, like, pulled off to the side of the right. road right next to the... Like, it's... It's very close. It's yeah. And so after that happens, they go drag it. Walter drags his body yeah. up on the train on the tracks and drops it there as if he fell on his head or something. Right. Um, he then goes. Uh, uh, Phyllis drives him over. Yes, to her the name station. is Phyllis, which is amazing. It's not the sexy name that you want. Like that's Corey's mom's name. Get that. Be okay. nice. <laughs> but um, so he has wrapped his foot up in bandages, something that will pass for a bandage from a right. distance. He takes Walter's crutches. Crutches. He pulls his hat over his head. Hat over his head and, and has a, a long coat on. Right, so that he wouldn't be... In other words, he sign, he gets on the train using uh, Phyllis's husband's ticket. Yeah. So, basically, like, he's right. still alive now. He's not already dead on the tracks. We swear. Mm -hmm. um, and he goes out, he's gonna go to the I don't know if it's like a smoking deck. It's literally like this little porch at the back train, of the train. Yeah. And he goes out there, and then he is tiny bit thwarted, thwarted by somebody else being out there, somebody who's planning to be out there for a long time. But they have a timeline that mm -hmm. they need to meet because he's at a specific place on the tracks. Exactly. So he has to disappear at that specific place on the tracks. And he says that he has um, misplaced his cigarettes or his cigar. Right. I can't remember which. Um, and uh, makes a move to the go stranger. back up the train. Right. And then the stranger's like, oh, I'll get it for you. Because he's on crutches and yeah. is going to not be great, you know, traveling up these train aisles or whatever. So this guy goes to get him his quote-unquote cigarettes. And then that's when... Walter dives off the back of the train. Tuck and roll. And, like I said, the train's going, like, 15 miles an hour. Right. The fall is 
The idea being Four that feet. if you're on crutches and you're unwieldy, you fall off, you hit your head, and well, you're unconscious. Well, they were planning on doing it without the crutches before, right. so it's like... But you hit your head and you're unconscious, and then the other train runs over you and just kind of yeah. fusses up yeah. the evidence, right? So yeah. that's essentially... And it's very clever. It's laid out very well. The scenes where that show Walter's preparations, like uh, making sure that he puts a piece of card in between the bell and the hammer at his... Um, yeah, doorbell. At so his that, doorbell and on the phone. Right. If anybody calls or something, he'll know that they tried. Yeah, it. and he goes down and mm-hmm. sees. Like he makes sure that his doorman sees him. Um. He tells his doorman, "Yes, I'll be in for the night. I'll be in for the he night." Leads to a service entrance. Yeah, and then when yeah. he comes back, he comes down and says, "Hey, I'm going to get a sandwich because right. the doorman's cleaning the car because right. that's another thing he does. Apparently, part of his job description." Uh, and, and I, we, we messed up the, the actual plan. She keeps his body uh-huh. and meets Walter at the location that he draw he falls and then they put him on the okay. tracks. Um, cause otherwise he'd be smushed by the train he was supposed to fall right. off of. He's going to get smushed by the next train. Smushed by the next train. Cause he can't get up cause he is dead. Already dead. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at that point the the insurance goes into effect, right? But we need to keep in mind that Walter works at an insurance company. And you know what an insurance company wants? To never pay out anything. Because they're terrible. I hate the insurance industry a lot. So, <laughs> uh, the boss, like, he gets called up with his boss, Barton Keys, mm-hmm. the, um, like that's his direct supervisor who at, at this point also is like hey you should move up to my job right. like you should just you should you're smarter than all these other people like they're fr- they're legitimately friends right. and he tries to well, more than friends they keep making jokes about loving each other um well i think that's a friend it's, thing it's um cute, and uh he says you know you should you should Take the raise, take the promotion. No, it's not. It's not a raise. It's a promotion with a pay cut. Right. And he's like, yeah, nah, I'm not going to do that. Plus, he likes being out in the world where he can meet lovely ladies. Whereas the relationship between the two of them actually is very sweet. Because it is. It's, it's very paternal in some ways. In some ways. It feels more like brother. Right. But he's Like always, an older brother. Right. Maybe that's a better way to put it. But it's... Um, Barton sees the potential in Walter mm-hmm. and wants to foster that. Yeah. And, and uh, Barton also, we should mention, is set up in this film as a person who, once he gets a hold of a person who's faking an insurance claim, he's relentless. And not just that, he can tell when you're right. faking it. Like, he has, like, a sense. He says it's something in a his stomach, man, a little man on the side, side, side of his body. Um, and... And they were expecting this, mm-hmm. right? Walter and Phyllis both were expecting this because right. it was a big payout. So they're going to be like... Right. So the, they get called up to like the president's office and the president is like, well, this is clearly a suicide. And they call Phyllis in um, and then Walter and Phyllis have to pretend not to really know each other even though they definitely have been having sex. And uh, and they do keep it cool. And she gets... she's She starts with... I didn't even know there was insurance policy. Mm-hmm. And then she gets, you know, indignant that they would say that he was suicidal or that they would blame her for it. And she gets up and she walks out. Now, this is at the, this is the point where Walter and Phyllis cannot be seen together. So they, she goes to a store 
every day at a certain time. And if he needs to talk to her, he goes too. Like, that's how their right. system is set up. Because they can't call each other. Like, they have right. to stay separate. And they're being and watched. And unlike strangers on a train, they actually stay separated. Yes. Like, if one of them doesn't break and fuck everything up. For like, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. Um, they think it's a suicide. Keys is like, no, that's not what it was. And then he's like, my tummy, my tummy hurts. And he tells Walter his theory. Um, he goes to Walter's house as fucking Phyllis has called up from the payphone and said, can I come up and see you? And she's like, he's like, sure, make sure nobody sees you. And then knock, knock, knock on the door. And he opens the door thinking it's going to be her. And it's, oops, it's Barton. And Barton is like, here's what I think has happened. And it's basically exactly what Her happened. Her is right behind the door. Yes. And she comes up. She goes to knock. Mm-hmm. Hears him talking to somebody. Right. Hides behind the door. And then, yeah, Walter opens the door and then talks Barton out. As Barton gets into the elevator, he leaves his door open because she's hiding behind it. Right. And then as soon as those elevator doors close, she comes around and goes in. It's, uh, it's real tense. Oh, we should talk about Lola. We should talk about Lola. We should Lola. talk about Lola. So meanwhile, we we have to keep in mind, or like, Lola is the decedent's daughter. Right. Not Phyllis's daughter. Phyllis is a second wife. Right. Who very likely killed her Lola's mother. That's the information <laughs> that Lola tells yes. um, Walter. Lola tells it? Walter. Uh-huh. Um, she, there was a nurse, my mom was sick, there was a nurse, then my, then my mom died, and that nurse was this woman who's now married to my dad, and she's like, I think she killed him, or killed her, and now I think she's killed him, like, and it turns out, that's probably right. We never get a yay or nay, but, um, given her homicidal tendencies, yes, given the fact that she was like, I'm trying to recruit somebody to help me kill my husband. It seems reasonable to me that she would have killed his wife to get into the position so that she could kill him and take all of the dollars. Uh, and meanwhile, and, and we shouldn't, like, Lola is a young lady. She is high strung, but, uh, and she's dating somebody named, what's his name? Nico? Nino Zacchetti. Nino. Nino Zacchetti. I got confused because that's uh, not a name. Who is just uh, who's a dick? Uh, right, exactly. He's uh, abusive. He knocks her around a little bit. He wants to keep her isolated from her friends and family because abuse her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they like break up and they get back together and break up. Like there's this back and forth. And Lola sort of confides in Walter a little bit. Um, like she, she that one of the nights that he's over getting signatures. He goes to leave. She's taken off. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm going to go out with my friend. We're going roller skating. And then she leaves. And then Walter gets in his car and she like pops up from the back seat and is like, I thought you'd give me a ride. And like, That's fucking weird. That's weird Especially that you did that. That's the way that he killed her dad. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. And, uh, and not yet at that point because mm-hmm. he was still alive. But that's when she's Maybe like. Maybe he gets the idea to kill her dad though. Yeah. Way. And then she like confides a little in him then. Mm-hmm. But then she confides in him more later. Um, after her father's death. After her father's death. And she's broken up with Nino. She's gone back together with Nino. And then. Um, 
Meanwhile, mm-hmm. we've got Keys bringing in the man who saw, who quote unquote saw um, the husband on the train. He's the uh, he's a witness, mm-hmm. so he's brought in. Fucking Walter's like yoink, like he's right. so nervous because this dude definitely saw him. He tried to keep himself right hidden, and that but leads like to a very interesting scene where. Walter and Barton are in the office with the witness who remembers having a conversation with Walter. Well, he says, he yes, he says, um, he sees a picture of the decedent Mm -hmm. and he's like, that's not him. The guy I saw was like way younger. He Mm -hmm. was like 35 max. I also thought, I was like, we're not going to talk about the height discrepancy because. Fred McMurray was way taller, I He's think, than six the six foot three. Yeah, than the decedent. I think this decedent was like five eleven or something. Right. Like he was when you saw them next to each other, mm-hmm. they were in no way the same height. Which is so. probably why he kept stooping. He kept stooping. That is true. Um, and then yeah, then the witness is like, "Hey, uh, you ever been up to Oregon? Like you look familiar to me." But he doesn't <laughs> yes. place him in the location that they're talking about, which right. is wild. And then he's like, no, I just have one of those faces. Like, he goes on and on. I'm like, did I see you you here? Do you fish? Do you like... The scene in The Fugitive. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yeah, where that guy's like, um, he's like this tall and he has this color hair and blue eyes and a beard. And he's like, do you know, have you seen anybody like that? And he's like, every day when I look in the mirror, (laughs) I'm just like, ooh, woof. (laughs) So close. Uh, And then uh, Phyllis is trying to like be more interactive with Walter mm-hmm. and Walter's like you need to fucking lay low because shit is getting real but there's something else going on too mm-hmm. which is that I was about to say you know um, Lola comes again to Walter and says and they're forming an odd kind of friendship yeah it is that feels paternal to me because uh-huh. now her father right. is dead um, it doesn't feel like she's coming on to him, like I was, he's which I was grateful for. Yeah, I was like, no. don't do that. I mean, because uh, on a, in a film noir sort of world, there's always sort of the good girl, bad girl thing, right? But in this case, there's not a. It's not like um, he's hitting on Lola, and Lola's mm-hmm. not attracted to him. No, she's yeah, she's you know, she's treating him almost like yeah, a, a dad or a brother or cousin right. or something like that. Getting in his car, giving you give like sort of confiding in him a little right. bit, but in no way is it romantic mm. or sexual at all. Which, yay for this right. movie! And uh, but she's she finds him and she's like, um, so she's crying. She's like, Nino has been going to see Phyllis like every night, and uh, Walter's like, I've been double crossed by the double crosser. Fuck, and he's like, well. I'm probably, he, they're probably going to try and kill me now because I am now a loose end. This was their plan. Right, exactly. And I'm a patsy, and now they're either going to kill me or they're going to frame me. Pro- probably kill. Probably kill. And so he goes to confront Phyllis. I know about you and Zacchetti. Uh And he says... Uh, I'm going to kill you and frame him, which is a wild thing for him to say because, well, he did murder somebody already. I'm like, he's not a murderer. I'm like, oh, no, he definitely is. He definitely garroted that dude in a car. Definitely definitely killed somebody. And uh, which is, I mean, that's part of the problem, too, right? Like, Phyllis planned it. Mm -hmm. 
but the person who killed him was Walter. Right. Uh, so she could turn on him at any moment if they get called in to the police. And that's what uh, Barton keeps telling him. Yeah. Barton is so... He's figured out everything except for who the person is. Who the, yeah. And who her, her conspirator in is. in the dictaphone, Walter's saying, well, you were too close to see who it was. Yeah. And he didn't want to see me as the person. Yeah. And he starts with, mm-hmm. this, is, I, I, this isn't a confession, because I don't like that word, mm-hmm. but... Uh, I did do I did do a murder. Right. <laughs> I did do that. And he's also uh, it, it's interesting at this point uh, in the, the narrative where he sees that he's been betrayed. He sees that he's been set up by Phyllis, and and he believes that not only is he going to be killed, but that they're going to kill Lola too. They're going to kill Lola probably. Yeah, because yes. she doesn't want this bitch doesn't want to be a mom. No, like that's not. And there's also the chance that Lola could try to lay some sort of claim on the money as well, because mm-hmm. she has this story mm-hmm. um, about... Uh, and so, yeah, Phyllis is saying, I'm spending time with Nino because you're spending time with Lola. At one point she says that... That's ridiculous and also. Like, just on its face. What does that mean? And he's explained to her, I'm trying to get Lola not to say that you might have killed her mom. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to keep like, her keep her under control chill and hey, under look, control. This, maybe this isn't the best idea. You go telling people. You, this. on the other hand, are right. fucking this dude every right. night. It's, it's not. It, this is apples and oranges that we're comparing here. And um, at that point, Phyllis does shoot him in the shoulder, but can't actually bring herself right. to kill him. So she is. She's a planner, but she's not a doer in the in the murder realm. Although. We don't know, because we don't know what happened with the mother. Uh-huh. And... I don't know. I just saw that scene. Well, I see what happens next, which is Walter. Yeah. Always... He says... He, she's like, I can't do it because I care for you in a way I'm, I haven't cared for anyone in my whole life. And Walter's like, yeah, bullshit. And then kills her. <laughs> It reminds me of uh, what's the, the the Mickey Splain book, I the Jury. This starts out with you know uh, the dame, so to speak, who wears the dress two sizes too small two years ago, and then it ends up she sets up Mike Hammer to get killed, and then she gets killed by him. And her closing line, the closing line of the book is something like, "Mike, how could you? It was easy, babe." You know, yeah, it's, it's kind of the feel. Yeah. They don't say which that I mean, here, they but... that that happened in the Maltese Falcon yeah. too, like. Right. And she's like, how could you? We love each other. And he's like, nah, bitch. <laughs> I've known you for six minutes. I, that's not, what? Mm-mm. And then you tried to fucking frame me and right. kill me. And like, mm we're not. Yeah. I was good up until that second framing attempt. And then I thought, no. Nah. <laughs> and then he um, waits at the house for Zaketi to show up because he does every night. Mm-hmm. And he's like, mm, you probably don't want to go in there. And I think he says you need to call it off with Lola, right? Yeah. Like he's... I believe I can't remember what he says about Lola, other than uh, no, he tries to encourage them, like give up on Phyllis. She's no good for you. Lola's sitting there. Lola is call Lola, apologize to her if you have to. Ew. He does. He does that's that, not that's very, good. I don't like that. That's a very kind of. Um, I, I think the idea is that in film noir, you see this a lot. There'll be parallels between people. Like the relationship between Walter and Phyllis, the relationship between Walter and Lola, right? And he sees in Nino a version of himself that was getting involved with this woman who was no good, 
and he's trying to encourage him, well, look, there's a good woman who loves you, and so you should at least try for that. But we know he that says, he's abusive. Yeah, he she knows her, that he's, she's abusive. He says to Zanino, you don't deserve her, and maybe she'll turn you down, but you should try, right? That's what he's telling him. I don't like again, that. Makes Literally, that makes me like him less than the murder. I don't... <laughs> That pisses me off a lot. I forgot about it because I was thinking I was too mad. Right. Uh, and then he drives to to uh, work mm-hmm. in the middle of the night, in the dark, and he picks up that dictaphone and then we're back to the beginning. Uh-huh. And as he's finishing up, um, Barton shows up and he does hear the end of it and he's like, ah, I'm sad for you and I'm sad about you. And Walter's like, I'm gonna go to Mexico. You're gonna let me go. You're gonna get, you're my friend. You're gonna give me a head start. But he's uh, bleeding out, <laughs> so he does not have it in him to make a run for it. Well, he says, "You're not even get to the elevator." Yeah, he's like, "I mean, go ahead and try, yeah. but like, you are very weak and very pale, and you've been sitting here for an hour and a half talking to this dictaphone and bleeding. <laughs> like, it's not a good look." And uh, he collapses on the ground. He does collapse on the ground, and then. Barton lights a cigarette for him, and then they're waiting for a police and an ambulance because he is going to go to prison now because yeah. he has killed two people. Two and people? during which, two people. yes, he admits uh, there's a really funny kind of gag they have going between Barton and, and Walter where Barton can't seem to ever find matches to light his cigars. Mm. And... Walter always mm-hmm. has them on him, and he snaps them. He, they've got, oh man, they don't make fucking right. matches like they do, did then. Yeah, he just flicks it with his thumb, and it lights, and I'm just like, I could never with the shitty matches that we have now. No, and as a matter of fact, because I used to, as a kid, wonder when I'm watching Westerns, there's a scene in For a Few Dollars More where Lee Van Cleef lights his cigarette, or his cigar, by rubbing a match against the stubble on Hoskinski's face. Oh, jeez, that's intimidated. And it's like, whoa, whoa. I, but apparently that was a common thing. He even makes a, Barton makes a, the character makes a comment on it later. I used to keep matches on me, but they kept like, bursting, bursting in the flame. Bursting yeah. um, so, But he pats himself down every time. Right. Like, like he, you know you don't have, what the fuck is this it's, weird it's like pantomime Yeah, <laughs> Walter, like the, and in this case, it's reversed. It's reversed, yeah. And uh, Walter says that he loves him, which is very sweet. Like, yeah. they, they have that kind of relationship. This is where the, the film ends. Apparently, there was a scene shot that Wilder removed. To go at the end? Yes, to go at the end of Barton watching Walter go in for the electric chair. Mm. And this is because the actual case where this happened, um, where the... Uh, insurance investigator aided a, a woman in murdering yeah. a husband. In the actual case, there was a photographer who took a picture in the gas chamber. Woof. With a camera that he strapped to his ankle. I don't like and it. And that picture got, was one of the most widely seen right. pictures of 1929, I think, or 28. And so that was horrific. So they were, the, um, the film producers and wanted to make that direct association between that famous case gotcha. and the film. But uh, Wilder felt like, well, that's that's not going to work. It slows everything down. The story's already tied up. Why do we need this extra yeah. scene? Yeah. No, that feels... Extraneous. Extraneous. And it and also feels like even though he's 
a murderer uh-huh. several times over, at least two times over. We're still kind of pulling for him. Like, he's he seems like a nice guy. You don't really want to watch him he's, yeah. straight murdered at he, the end. His thing is, and this is something that I was uh, listening to Eddie Mueller talk about with this particular film, is the motivation for Walter, yes, he's infatuated with Phyllis. Mm-hmm. And he goes on about how infatuated he is mm-hmm. with Phyllis. But his motivation, and he mentions this in the film, is really to cheat the house. Right. And he he, ta- he goes on this, uh, he, he has a, a monologue about that. Yeah. He About how you see somebody when you're in a casino and you see how they're playing the cards and you're going, how can I get one past that guy? And right. so really it was all about him and Barton. Yeah. And then it just got completely out of hand because... Right. You know, he became infatuated with Phyllis and started following her lead, and then right. it just kept spiraling out of control. Right. But it wasn't motivated by the desire to kill people. It was motivated no. originally by the desire to, can I do this and get away with it? Right, right. Um, but the apparently the book, or Joseph yeah. Kane's book, ends completely differently, and Barton does help. He gets him out Walter of it. Walter gets him out of there. Uh, in what has to be one of the stupidest endings I've ever heard. Oh, of. geez. Um, gets him on a boat, sending him to Mexico. On the boat, he meets Phyllis. I can't make out whether Phyllis is there by accident or actually there. They have a long discussion about how. So Im- he hasn't killed her. No. Okay. He has a long discussion about how immoral their activities are, and they decide to hold hands and jump off the back of the boat together. Titanic style. <laughs> committing suicide for their sins, all whereupon hitting the water, they're devoured by a hungry shark. I kid you not, that's the end of the book. That's dumb as shit. <laughs> I am super glad they didn't do that at the end James of this movie. Kane, who wrote the book and who didn't have a lot of kind words for most film adaptations of this book, said, okay, that was an improvement. I have no idea. Like, I was stuck for an ending when I was writing part so five of this. So I just put everything right. in it. Just so, all of like, the bullshit. There's that's a shark. There's a, they get away. They don't get away. They decide uh, they're too guilty to be... But this is the reason why um, James King was never approached to write the screenplay for this film. Nope, it was written by Raymond Chandler. Raymond Chandler, who Billy Wilder called in and immediately disliked. But because, he put him in the in the movie. Right, he's in the film. He's, he's got his, an uncredited cameo. Which is cameo. one of the few, apparently, uh, photographs of him of any kind anywhere. He did not mm. like being photographed. But, but he uh, agreed to be in a movie? That's why. Right, so he's in the film... <laughs> And their writing style, because uh, Wilder had a regular writer that he worked with, right? But he, but that writer did not care for the story at all, especially you know diving uh, off of the back of a boat and sharks. He did not know what to make of this material, so he didn't want to have anything to do with it. Adapt it, dum dum. But whatever. (laughs) Yeah, the Hayes Code was complaining that be careful that we don't lower the moral tone of the audience in. with the subject matter. Okay. So, um, what Eddie Mueller describes is office meetings where, um, where Billy Wilder's literally striding back and forth in his office, dictating things, waving around his writing crop, while Raymond Chandler is sitting writing the stuff and occasionally taking trips out to the men's room so where he's hidden a bottle of hooch. Mm. And he's supposed to be in recovery at this point. Um, but they did not like each other at all after that. Interesting. Um, Chandler did not like adapting James Kane. 
because he felt that Cain was too was trying to goofy. Well, no, he felt that Cain was also trying to elevate this kind of fiction, and he didn't feel like it needed elevating. So at one point, he didn't want to elevate it that far. If he got he if he had right. them eaten by sharks, uh, that's not an elevation. He said that, jumping the shark is the like right. a thing for a reason, and this is. What, 40 years right, earlier? The actual <laughs> of the shark. He once, and I remember reading this, that, that uh, Raymond Chandler described, I believe, Kane as Proust in greasy overalls. So, in other words, it's like, no, he's just a, he, he, he's, he's slumming here. Which is funny because Raymond Chandler also was slumming. The genuine author that we, re- that we saw yeah. just a few weeks ago was Dashiell Hammett, who actually was a detective who did work. Raymond Chandler had never had that profession. He was a he was a tough guy. He was a soldier in the, in the trenches, but he then he was a writer. Right, he was a writer and a really terrible alcoholic. Oh, and so what's up, Hemingway? Right, that generation of writers was yep. like that. It's uh, it's war that right. does that to you. And <laughs> so right, so it was <laughs> like PT. Although his father was also an alcoholic, so it was something. That and also Chandler. that, but yeah, um, but. Uh, Briefly, while writing this film, Chandler was on the wagon. Apparently, between working with Billy Wilder and the stress of it, he went back on the bottle. Um, Billy Wilder did not like working with him when the script was nominated for an Academy Award. Um, He did not invite Chandler. I want to talk about the Academy Awards um, situation for this movie. But when he's asked, well, why didn't you have Chandler come with you? Because he's a recognizable figure at this mm-hmm. point. He says, well, I couldn't... He's, he's drunk somewhere under a table. I can't find him. And it was like a, a dick thing to say. And he gets a writing credit, too. Wild, mm-hmm. Wilder and Chandler share the writing right. credits on this movie. Um, for whatever that's worth. So the the, the Academy, it was the 17th Academy Awards that this was um, contending in. Mm-hmm. And it was nominated for seven awards. And it won zero awards. It was nominated for Picture, Director, Actress, Writing, Cinematography, Music, and Sound. Picture and Director both went to Going My Way, a movie I don't know what it is. It's a it's a really family-friendly film about an a old priest being retired and a new priest coming and taking his job. And it's very... It's a very kind of family-friendly, sweet movie with Bing Cosby. Oh, okay. He does some sings a little bit too in the film. Uh, that also won for writing. Mm-hmm. So, so Wilder thought he was going to win right. director at least. And uh, oh, but the it was the same studio. Right. So going my way was Paramount, as was the as was his film, and they Paramount was backing the other movie. Right. Which is so deeply fucked up. Right, again, Billy Wilder is kind of a dick. He was so upset that he wasn't winning any awards that when Leo McCary, the director of Going My Going My Way, mm. was going to the podium to receive his award, Billy Wilder actually put his foot in the aisle and tripped him. I kid you not. What a child. And then as they were leaving, he and as Wilder and his wife were leaving the award ceremony, he opens up the door so McCary can hear him yell. What do Academy Awards mean anyhow? Louise Rayner has won twice. Louise Rayner. Okay, <laughs> I don't so, even know who that is, but damn. He, why does she have to be dragged for right, your bullshit? God damn. He's just he's a, a very small Austrian jerk. Um, and, and he had his issues. He, he, you know, he was one of these 
people he did escape uh, Nazi persecution um, in Austria. But yes, he was a very small, angry Austrian man <laughs> who was very certain of his abilities. And the problem is he's very talented, but at the same time, he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm like super over that. Right, the idea that you get like I want to light that shit on fire. Right, that yeah, like, you get to get away with being a dick because you're a genius. Fuck off. There are right. geniuses that are decent human beings, so we don't need to keep giving these people money. Um, Barbara Stanwyck uh, for Best Actress right. did lose to, of course, Ingrid Bergman in Gaslight. No one had a chance. <laughs> right. Sorry, like. We talked about that movie. Yeah. There was no... I don't care. Nobody else was going to win that year. really odd is uh, I was reading about her wig in the film, and we kept commenting on that as we were watching yeah. the movie. And she, her first... Uh, when she We're talking about Barbara Stanwyck, Barbara Stanwyck right? Yeah. Right. Yes, her hair was immovable. Right. And waved in a way that would require hours and gallons of right. product. So, yeah, it was a wig and Billy Wilder thought better of his decision like a week into shooting or two weeks and then thought it's too late now to yep. we can't <laughs> afford to reshoot this entire movie because mm-hmm. of a wig. And, um, but yeah, from he, he wanted something that made her look sort of cheap and tawdry and which is wild because it, to me it doesn't. Right, that's what But also I'm for. looking at it from a a difference yeah, that just exactly. looks fancy as shit to me yeah. but like yeah but you know she's trouble when she comes on screen naked I'm just like well she uh, had issues with that too she's she, her first reaction to it was um, I don't know that I can play this part where am I supposed to draw this from you know from her personality where am I supposed to get this kind of and Billy Wilder's response to her was well are you a mouse or an actress because that's the kind of guy he was. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> this is what... Uh, yeah, this no, I don't is, like it. I, I only knew... I started guessing, rather, about his temperament when I read that Christopher Lee, of all people, who was more even-tempered than a lot of actors, especially star actors, he worked with Billy Wilder, and then when he was asked to comment, what was it like working with Billy Wilder, his comment was... Um, Hitler was also Austrian, <laughs> and it was like, oh. God damn. <laughs> I literally thought he was going to say something like, wouldn't do it again. Right. That was, that was a one and done, or like, but woof. Yeah, so he was infamous for bullying people, but then again, you know. It's, try and bully Christopher right. Lee. Fucking try it. It's literally a foot smaller, maybe more than... <laughs> also, he knows what it sounds like when you stab a man, so maybe <laughs> fucking don't mess with him. Right. And there were actors who... who Because you know, Otto Preminger had the same... Um, he had the same kind of issues where he would bully actors. And he sadly... Well, he got in a confrontation with Kirk Douglas and almost lugged him. Because he was yelling at Kirk Douglas, and it's like, oh, good, two assholes. Right. So that was awesome. And her character, Kirk Douglas, will swing on you. That's not, as we know, (laughs) aside from all those other issues, having watched Spartacus, he was a physical specimen who did a lot of training. Yeah. So it's like you know, you just walked up to Preminger. Are you talking to me? Are you literally? Are you talking to me? Pulled like a pre-Deniro De Niro on him. And that kind of stopped their... It's like uh, Michael Bay and Sean Connery, and, right. Sean, and Michael Bay just went up on a fucking crane, because right. he's like, uh-uh, I'm not, mm-mm, he'll kill me. I'm staying up here, which is 
hilarious. So even though the Academy didn't yeah. like this movie that much, the AFI loves this movie. Yes. This is all over the AFI things uh, uh, lists. It is on the original Hundred Years Hundred Movies at thirty eight, and on the tenth anniversary edition, they moved it up to twenty nine. Uh, 100 Years, 100 Thrills, uh, as you can tell from what we're doing right here. It's number 24. Uh, Heroes and Villains, she is listed at number 8. Mm-hmm. And here's where it uh, loses me a little bit. Okay. Their 100 Years, 100 Passions, which I believe is love stories, right. it's number 84. And I'm just like, um, it. You can't have her be the number eight villain and then have this movie be listed as a love story. Like, it's, that's it is, out of control. It's weird because I wouldn't... Unless the love story is between Barton and Walter. That would be the... the In which case, yup. In the film. <laughs> but that, it's called Passions, though. Right. And I do not believe that they had a passionate no. love for each other. They had a familial or... Uh, even platonic mm. love for each other. I don't think they wanted to fuck each other. No. So that is, it is weird to have mm. both of those things. Because right. clearly she didn't love him. She was using him. Right. I don't know if I she, loved she loved Nino. No, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure she's a psychopath. Right. Uh, and I think the only reason she didn't kill him mm-hmm. was because then she's got a dead body in her house. Right. And how is she going to explain that? He's going to disappear? She, like, all the neon signs just pointing to her as a, as a, the, the killer. Like, he, right. she can't really get rid of him. She needs him to be the patsy. Mm. Uh, and basically say, oh, he was obsessed with me. And he had him right. sign all these papers. Well, that's kind of what... The, the and then he was going to kill me. Are fleshed out enough to where you can see what yeah. paths they would have taken had yeah. the story gone a little bit different. And the story is also written well enough. Um, as I said, that scene where the murder is being set up and planned and executed is really, that alone gets on the thrills list. Yeah. Because it is really well thought out. And it should have worked perfectly. The only thing that stalled it was the fact the insurance company just was very stubbornly not going to pay out. Because it's an insurance exactly. company, you guys. They don't want to pay out on anything, as you'll know if you've ever had a medical claim ever in your life. Uh, so did you find, was it thrilling to you? I was going to say one more thing, but mm-hmm. yes, I did think it was thrilling. I think Edward G. Robinson's character is what makes it thrilling. Right. Um, because he's the only one who was who put any heat on them. Uh-huh. There weren't even cops involved. Like we didn't even see a police officer in this entire film. I don't think. I don't think so. Yeah, I'm trying to. Because even at the end, uh-huh. they're waiting for police. I don't think they even get there. Um, so this this isn't being investigated as a crime right. by the police department. It's literally only being investigated by the insurance company because they don't want to pay out. And they certainly don't want to pay out twice. Especially because he just started their policy. Right, but he exactly. would have paid one premium or one, you know, monthly installment. And now that I have to pay out, like, all this money. And I'm like, yeah, because you're insurance. And that's the risk that you take by starting that company. I hate insurance companies so much. They are 
criminal enterprises. Uh, did you think it was telling? I I really did, and I don't remember the last time I've seen the film, but having watched it this time, it uh, very much like watching Titanic or some of the other films that we've seen. That seeing it again after fifteen or twenty years, right? You're like, oh, oh, this is good. (laughs) This is actually very good, and it it moves at a it moves at a. It does. It's um relatively long. It's Mm. on nearly two hours long, um, but it does go pretty quickly. Um. And another nice thing about it, to me, is if you're going to show me people who make a plan, I need them to be smart. And everybody is smart in this movie. Like, there isn't an idiot in this film. Right. And in the book, also, Barden is not... They don't have that kind of relationship that was created exclusively for this movie. Right. In the the book... I wonder if that was also because they had the two of them together Possibly, and they yeah. got along and they were like, oh, well, we yeah, should... Everyone everyone liked working with Edward G. Robinson. Even people you wouldn't think, like, um, there's a film that, I don't know that you've seen it, I don't mm. know if I asked you to see it, oh, Soylent Green. I've never seen Soylent Green. Which, I know it's people. Right. <laughs> because Which I live in the world. A, but other than that, I, but I've not seen it. It's, it's Isn't it Charlton Heston? Charlton Heston. Teeth acting? That's why I haven't seen it. And <laughs> he lives with an older man, Saul, who's played by Edward G. Robinson. Oh, okay. This is his last film role. Oh, wow. And they they have... And Edward G. Robinson... I mean, excuse me, uh, Charlton Heston can be um, a very kind of formal acting actor like he's right which which means to me mm-hmm. that he would be um he would at least be interested in talking to edward g robinson right. given the history that he could that exactly. he has and, and the, the stories two of them he could on tell screen together really have they really look like two a guy, an older man and a younger man who love each other uh-huh. the same sort of relationship that you see here but again it's a greater span of distance um, and that really makes the, everyone who's seen that film goes, yeah, that relationship really worked. And often it's like um, when we were watching a, Out of Africa. There oh, was yeah. A comment, or even Butch Cassidy and Nance Kid. Yeah. That it's very hard for people to do romantic scenes, for instance, or have that kind of connection with um, Robert Redford. And they don't know what it is that he, you know, there are people either who are intimidated by his male beauty or something, or there's been actresses who don't interact with him really well, and that's why he keeps doing scenes with Jane Fonda, or films with Jane Fonda, or other actresses. It makes who seem me to think he him. might have been gay, or be gay. Not, but, I'm um, not casting aspersions, and right. I don't think that's an aspersion anyway, but I feel like either that, or he just, he was like, this is work, and so I can't be I passionate, very much that, because that's for yeah. whoever I'm with outside of this. That, that kind of was, that attitude that he he did have an issue connecting with other actors, but when you had him and Paul Newman doing this two-band right. thing, they did it twice, right? That right. one in The Sting, uh, Butch Cassidy in The Sting, and also you had this relationship with Jane Fonda where right. they did what I think... And I think he and Dustin Hoffman did well together, yes, but that's probably largely because Hoffman is a method actor. Right. And so he just fell into character, which means Redford would, was fine because he was like, well, I'm not... I'm not yeah. interacting with Dustin Hoffman. I'm interacting, interacting with this other character. Carl that's Bernstein, like, yeah, right? that's my job, and right. that's fine. But I think they were really good together yeah, too. Yeah, they were. Yeah, because I think Dustin Hoffman is one of those. Don't call me by my name. 
He seems to have mellowed out as time went on, which is good for him because, yes, he used to be quite a jerk. Apparently. I'm just never going to get over the the accent and perfume. The Whatever chef boy RD. <laughs> it's the same thing with um, The Happening, that film that we saw uh-huh. where you're like, what the hell is Mark Wahlberg doing? But that was wild to me specifically because, mm-hmm. and this is like a weird tangent, but M. Night Shyamalan is a fucking perfectionist. Right. He's like, like Mammoth is with his script right. where you say the fucking words that are on the page, nothing else and nothing less. Right. That's what we're doing. Shyamalan has that kind of sort of control on his films is my understanding. This yeah. is what I've heard. And he fucking heard that come out right. of Mark Wahlberg's mouth and was like, yup. <laughs> Keep I doing think that. That's kind of what every time that you see a performance that's a good actor doing like weird. I literally am like, that's the director. Yes, you have to see the director might be going in a different direction or something. Like he's hearing this, right? He's also hearing this and he's not saying, cut, come here, come here, come here, come here. Right. <laughs> you need to tone that shit down. I need you to talk like a human being. <laughs> like this is this ain't it. Like, but yeah, they didn't it was wild. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, the WGA list this is the 26th greatest screenplay of all time, but fuck you, you don't get an Academy Award, which is The list good. of movies that haven't got an Academy Award is amazing. I know. Well, the other thing is, like, looking at the list of Best Picture winners, you're like, heard of that one? And then you scroll through 10, right. and they're like, heard of that one? And then you scroll through 13, and you're like, heard of that one? Yeah. Even ones in my lifetime, I'm like, yeah. oh, fuck, I totally forgot that, that was a Best Picture winner. So, yeah, that might be a thing we should do. Yeah. We'll think about it. Because okay. we're coming to the, well... We're coming to the quote-unquote end of this miniseries. We have 23 left, but uh, yeah. Including so, some that we'd rather not see, but we're going to soldier gonna on because it. of you. We're going to do it. I'm going to have PTSD, but we're going to do it. Uh, oh, last week gave me some stress, and two weeks from now is also going to give me some stress. Tell us why. Three weeks from now, actually. Um, but first, we have to go. Next week, we're going to mm-hmm. watch... Lawrence of Arabia. It's long, everybody. It's long. And you should watch it on the biggest screen you could find. Yes. David Lean. Yes. He David. makes epics. <laughs> and so this will be an epic. Hopefully it's like Spartacus and it fucking goes. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh shit, that felt that didn't feel like three hours. <laughs> um sure. Oh no. no. Who stars in it? It is like everyone. But who's but Lawrence of Peter Arabia? O'Toole. Okay. I love Peter O'Toole. Peter, Peter O'Toole and Omar Sharif and Anthony Quinn in Brownface. I was going to say, is someone else in Brownface? Motherfucker. He's already brown, but, you know, Anthony Quinn was like the... Oh, yeah, he's the... the ethnic actor. Every, yeah, every ethnicity. Like, I I think now that's mm-hmm. Jason Mantoukas. Like, oh, okay, he yeah. can play... He's Greek. Mm-hmm. Ben Tukas, yes, huh? he's 100% Greek, uh-huh. but he has played Middle Eastern, he has played Indian, and he could that's his skin tone, right? Black hair, black beard, darker skin, and you could well, put him there's anywhere. There's a, a film whose title I forget where Anthony Quinn plays an Inuit, and this prompted, um, what is his name, uh, Bob Dylan to write the song. The Mighty Quinn, 
which is about Quinn the Eskimo. <laughs> and it's like you've got to, and he was my whole body at, hurts. At the time, it's like you've got to be kidding. He's he's a what? He's playing a what? But that also happened to uh, we were discussing him last week, which is um, Woody Strode. Yeah, who played? He was uh, both indigenous and African American, and he also played Mongols so often. Really? That he did they it. lighten his skin for that, or no, did they keep him? He's just, because he's very dark right. skin. They just uh, lined up. But just uh, pretending like no one's noticing, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. It's a very strange... Yeah, at one point... Hey, everybody, this... there are actors of the ethnicity that the right. characters are. Hire them. Same thing with... There are deaf actors. Mm -hmm. There are blind actors. There are actors in wheelchairs. Right. H hire them. It's not hard. Yes. <sighs> I'm sorry, Scarlett Johansson. You are not an Asian woman. <laughs> uh, I, I was listening to Blank Check. Mm -hmm. They're doing um, Park Chan-wook. Mm -hmm. They were doing uh, Lady Vengeance uh -huh. today, and or the episode I was listening to. And apparently for a while, and this seems to have gone into the ether, hopefully, um, they were thinking about doing a remake in America with Charlize Theron. Wow. They did remake Old Boy. I'm never watching that remake. Uh, I'm, I, I, I'm never watching the original <laughs> again, but I'm not watching that remake. Like, yeah. for what? They're, hopefully, now that mm -hmm. Parasite has won Best Picture and there's things like Squid Games that are, like, massively popular, right. people are more comfortable watching a movie with subtitles. Sometimes it... I'm not going to learn Korean, but yeah. I can... I can watch a movie with subtitles. There we are, watch everything with captioning on anyways. There are times when an anglicized remake can actually be a lot of fun. Witness, for instance... I think The Ring is the, an excellent right, remake. Right, but when we talked about The Magnificent Seven, that's a fun movie based on a fun based movie, Based on a... Right? right. Or when you're watching something like uh, The Good, The Bad... Not The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, uh, Fistful of Dollars. The, 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 first two, uh, the first film in that trilogy is based on Yojimbo. I didn't realize that. And so, it, at times, he's even imitating... But that's not a one-for-one -one remake. No, no, it isn't. And it's, it is, hey, right. I like that movie that you made. Let me make a version of it that's mine. Exactly. It's not and a shot-for-shot. Shot. Also, shot-for-shot shot is weird. Kurosawa was confronted with one of his assistants telling him, hey, they've just, they've just done their own version of Yojimbo. It's called Fistful of Dollars. And he goes, oh, my gosh. Because are you going to do something about that? He goes like, no, this is a version. I'm going to watch it. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I took it from somewhere. I took it from Dashiell Hammett's novel, Red Harvest. We just yes. circle back around. I love that for us. Yeah, no, yes, and you—that's fine, right? But you've got to make it like, make sense right. in the cultural context that you have moved it to. And it helps that it's like genius interpreted by genius, right? right? It's right. not like, yeah. you know... We're not how can we make some money off of this thing that's wildly right, exactly. popular in other countries. You can release it here is what you can buy right, its American exactly. release rights and release it here. That's what you can fucking do. Right. Like, yeah. I don't know. Mm. Subs over dubs all day long and... Okay. Uh, yeah, read your movies. It's fine. It's good. All right. Next week, we are going to be watching Lords of Arabia. In the meantime, do you have anything that you might like to recommend? I saw a movie this weekend. You did? I saw several movies this weekend. Both of them were very intense films. Bird Box, Barcelona. That's right. Triple B. Triple B. Which was a very 
I'm not going to, yeah, I don't know how to recommend that film because it's very triggering. I think it's very good. It's very good, but it's very triggering for some people. There's a hell of a lot of suicide in this film. It it has that warning at the beginning. Right. It's like violence, suicide language, I mm-hmm. think, are the things. Like it. Right. So, yeah, if you can't. That's a trigger for you. Don't. This movie is filled with it. And and the original was, too. Right. It, that's like the premise of the film. Right. Uh, also, if you have issues with eyes. Ooh, yes. There's a lot of... Eye violence. Eye violence in that movie. But it's very good. Going, oh, it's like an Argento movie. I think it's better than the original, too. Uh I think it is better than the original. It is in Spanish, though. Uh It's in Spanish and English and German. That's right. And uh, what else is it in? Yeah. There's a passage in Latin. There is some... Yes, there is some... That's right. And they would... Some of the subtitles would say in English and I'm like, nope. <laughs> that was German. <laughs> or like in German and it was Spanish. And I'm like, you guys, you guys Be better. Be if better. AI has done this, put some put some right. human eyeballs on it before you send it out. I don't I also do not understand. If somebody can tell me, if somebody knows mm-hmm. why. Um especially in like Foreign language to English right. translations. Why the script that is given to the people who have dubbed is not the same as the script as the people who sub? Why are the phrases and words different? Why aren't they using the same script? For both of those things. Right. So the words on the screen match up with the words coming out of people's mouths. I have a lot... That's one of the reasons I don't like dubbed films is because we're watching it with captions because it can't fucking hear. Right. Um, And I have, like, processing... Auditory processing things happening. So I need those captions, but I fucking hate when those captions and the words just are different regularly... And also, like, not even just, like, it's another phrase for the same thing. Just different meanings entirely. Like, what what are we doing? It reminds me of uh, Amores Peros, uh, the film, and how the title got translated in the cut I saw to Life's a Bitch, or Love's a Bitch. Love's a Bitch, right. And it's like, well, Amores Peros would literally mean something like dog lovers, which would... That makes more sense. Right. These yeah. are all stories about people who love their dogs and the horrible things that happen and whatever else. Yeah. So it, it just seemed like where and also something about watching that film was every profanity was translated the same way. Oh, interesting. And so it doesn't matter what they were saying. Right. Came up, like, yeah. That's not what he said. That was frustrating. That's wild. Yeah, I. It just it frustrates me because you have a script mm-hmm. that you have given to the actors to do the dubbing. Right. Why are you not just using that exact same document yeah. to do the subtitles? It's, I don't know. It, it's like one gets a shooting script and one gets a final script, and they they don't. They're not going to be the same because that's how it works. And I can understand that there's like expressions that don't translate over, or there's subtleties of meaning, but I expect a lot less of that than you got in, in watching this film, having... Yeah. My understanding Just, of Spanish is more fluent than my speaking. Right, same. But, um, 
There were times that I'm looking at the screen going, wait, that, that's, that's not, not what he said. No. Yeah. And and my Spanish is rusty, but mm-hmm. medium good right. in understanding my my speaking is not ideal. But um yeah, I even I was like, that's not yeah. what he's just said. Oh, roommate is like, is is that that's not what he said uh so that's a little bit weird but what was what you were also gonna um, you were gonna actually, six, oh, which i forgot we watched it is not a it's a movie if you like dinosaurs yeah it's a dinosaur it's movie. a dinosaur movie and there's it's not it's very predictable you know exactly what's going to happen yep. from the very first moment of the film and i literally was like is this going to be the last shot of the film and it Absolutely, Absolutely was. was, but it was a <laughs> it was a fun movie. I it was it. fun. I remember it brought back you know me as a kid, uh, staying up late at night to watch dinosaur films because there was only like ten of them. Maybe there were right. There was less than that that were not Japanese, for instance, which is why I love the Japanese movies. But when growing up, there weren't that many movies on the subject because dinosaurs were very expensive and hard to sure film yeah film without making them look ridiculous. They look really good in this movie yes, they too. Did. Um, they look like they have weight and heft mm-hmm. to them, right. which is a problem with a lot of CGI. But I think it's starting to get better. Yeah. And Adam Driver is a really interesting actor. Right. This it's, is a two-hander. It's literally just him and this little girl. Right, well, there's except for the flashback scenes or something. And it's, yeah, all, that's it's true. all handled pretty well. And so if you go and not expecting surprises, but it is thrilling in its own way. And both yeah, of these sure. films are. Yeah, agreed. Um, Bird Box Barcelona is... It's more thrills piled on top of thrills, <clears throat> particularly when you get to the end. I'm like, oh, holy cow! You know, me and my agoraphobia. Yeah. Not agoraphobia, is it? Acrophobia, uh, or the fear of heights. Yeah. And that agoraphobia is big spaces. That uh, yeah, it's just the opposite, maybe, <laughs> or big spaces beneath. No, claustrophobia is the opposite of agoraphobia. Uh, but uh, the yeah, that was they're both fun, but yeah. With that caveat for yeah, box. fair enough. So, did you see something that you? I have not been watching a lot of stuff because I don't know if you heard at the beginning. Uh, work, working, work, work. I've been working. Mm-hmm. So, here's my two recommendations. One, uh, listen to cover songs. I just built myself a 200 uh, song cover song playlist on Spotify. Uh, because my brain only wants to learn like one new song a month and then it just wants variations. It just wants variations on shit it already knows. And uh, it's interesting to hear what artists do with other art. Mm. We were just talking about that. This is a version of that. So cover songs, that's my recommendation. Secondly, I am listening to an audio book of a um, young adult series that I had bought for my my friend's son. Mm-hmm. Uh, he apparently read it all in like a week. Wow. He really liked it. So I found the audiobook on YouTube. You guys, it's probably not supposed to be there. So I'm listening to that. My brain works weird. Normally I can't follow narrative unless that's all I'm doing. But I'm doing a lot of repetitive sort of not thinky work. Uh-huh. Um you know, training, switching over databases and things like that, where it's just literally copying and pasting and then right. renaming files. Like it's 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 not it's only taking up like three percent of my brain. So I can listen to a story. So I've been listening to that, and I think it's very good. So you could read it. It's called The Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. It's as I say, a trilogy. Uh, the first episode is the or first <laughs> episode. The first book is the Inheritance Games. The second book is called The Brothers Hawthorne, and the third book is called The Final Gambit. 
and uh, it is there's a little bit of young adult romance. There's um, puzzles that you're that they're trying to figure out. I like books like that. I even like yeah. the Da Vinci Code because of the puzzles. Also, I read it in eight hours and didn't realize what a terrible writer Dan Brown was. Uh, if you really bust through that book, you don't notice how bad it is. Then I picked up Angels and Demons, didn't read it that fast, and I was like, oh my god, why does he use the full name of every character every time he says it? It's wild. You didn't, did you have a word count you were trying to get to? I don't know. He's, he writes out Robert Langdon like 700 times in those books. Stop it, sir. Uh, but yeah, The Inheritance Games. Uh, either on audiobook, like I said, the entire audio like series is mm-hmm. on a one thirty-two hour uh, YouTube mm-hmm. okay. um, video, which is kind of a pain in the ass when you're listening to it to go to sleep because then you have to like eep, go back just a tiny little bit yes. <laughs> for that hour that you that it was still playing that you had fallen asleep. Um, I found the episode or the first book. Um, that's a 10-hour one, much more reasonable. And I'm not done with it, but I'm enjoying it. And it's a good um, it's a good narrator. So, yeah. Okay. That's, that's what I recommend. Um, that's a ticket. So, next week, Lords of Arabia. Buckle up. It's a long one. And uh, in the Again, meantime... Yes, big screen. Big screen. So, I think um, I think we're done on Twitter. Uh, they've changed. This is we're recording it the day he changed it to X, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm well, done. I'm yeah. done. We haven't got a Threads account. I'm gonna decide whether or not to do that. But right now, you can find us on Facebook. You can email us. I might make a website just because I can't. I can't with the Twitter. So right. we still have a Twitter link, and if Facebook posts automatically still go to Twitter, that's what we'll get. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going right. to Twitter anymore. Um, Elon Musk has put the last stake in its heart as far as I'm concerned, so I'm going to be done. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's that. You can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com, and you can look for us on Facebook by searching for Latecomers Podcast. Uh, I would like to remind you to please, please take your medicine and also get a whole night's sleep if you can, because yes. it sucks not to. Uh, and we'd like to remind you Better late than never. never.